Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Today, welcome to my podcast. I have got Carl Lamboer with me on Riverside. He's not in my studio, but he feels like he is because he's on the television screen with me. It's not a television screen. Callum, you're going to burst out laughing. You're going to tell everybody you're working with this dinosaur. It's a t- it looks like a TV screen. I think it's a computer thing. Carl, hi. Welcome <laughs> welcome to Biz News and Carrie's Corner. Hello, Carrie. I'm glad to be in your corner. There are not many people who have the privilege of being invited into this corner. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Guys, for everybody out there who has bothered to download this podcast, and I'm sure there will be many, Carl Lamboer is... The man who looks after Takara. I'm scared to call you the MD because I don't know if you're the general manager, Carl. What does Gigi oh, call um, you? Um, he only calls me when things go wrong. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. I'm the general manager. I'm general, the general manager of yeah. Takara, which yeah. is a, a national treasure and a much-loved portion of my industry. Um, Carl is no stranger to the winelands. I've known Carl for longer than I choose to mention publicly, and he is not only a fantastic winemaker and manager and businessman, but he's also a friend. Carl started off his wine journey at Stellenbosch University, where he studied two degrees. I know one of them was viticulture and enology. What was the other thing that you did, Carl? I did forestry first. That was my first career. Forestry, that's right. I was trying to remember. Yep. So two degrees for Carl from Stelly's, graduated and then worked, like most of us, in many different institutions, Berkelder being one of them. I think that was one of your first spaces. Give us a little quick pricey of your journey to Takara. I think Berkelder was the most interesting one for me. Well, first of all, it was a start-off. And um, I was 10 years older than all of my classmates because I'd done a previous I had a previous career, and mm. uh, so when I started studying wine in 1996, uh, I was 10 years older, so when I got out of RC, I was able to walk into a, a slightly more senior position. Um, I mm. think maybe people were fooled into believing that age would bring along a little bit of extra knowledge. And that you were actually serious and clever. Well, the nice thing about studying when you're 10 years older is that you realize you, if you don't study and you do well, it means that you actually like and you've chosen the right career because it was very easy to do winemaking because it just felt so natural. Um, mm. And it took me a long time to get there. And I read around and studied around the subject. So I, I it just came naturally. It was really amazing. But working at the Bachkelder was outstanding. I did... Um, let me think. It must have been about in the two years I was there, I worked with 30 different varieties and probably close to 25,000 tons of grapes. So oh, that, that's what I was going to speak to you about. You know, we're living in an age where there's so much artisanal everything, artisanal this, artisanal that. Yeah. And it's just a sort of, it's a bit of a resurrection of granny baking cook sisters and making tapestries in the Karoo sort of thing. You know, there's nothing new about it. But very few people tend to give the kudos and the credit to the people who can make millions and millions of liters of good wine. There's all the awards and all the kudos going to the people who can make one absolutely gobsmacking barrel of wine. How do you feel about that? 
we need those jewels in the crown. So we need people to identify greatness, whether it be small volumes or large volumes. I think um, they all bring credibility to our industry and they bring notoriety to our industry. And mm. uh, people start talking about us. And without those, we wouldn't have the airspace for the rest of what we do in the wine industry. So I think mm. from the Rustenburg... Uh, Peter Barlow, which is a tiny amount of exquisite wine, through to, for instance, our white label cabinet, our um, premium selection, which we must do close on 150,000 liters. They, yes. they both come from the same region, but they both come with the gravitas that, that is necessary to make a statement on the, on the big market. Yes. So today we're going to salute the big market and the little market because each yep. person plays a little part in this food chain that we have. So Berkelder was one of your spaces. You also worked at Grand Provence, which was one of my favorite properties. And I don't know what's happened to Grand Provence at this stage of the game. I hear on the, on the grapevine that's for sale or somebody's banished it to the back row and not looking after it and not making wine anymore. What's happening at Grand Provence? I'm not sure I've lost touch with what was going on at Grand Provence. Grand Provence is a beautiful little place. It's uh, Isn't one it of those gorgeous? quintessential arts. You know, it's got incredible historic um, architecture, beautiful old Cape Dutch buildings, um, spectacular gardens, outstanding restaurant, and it's in Franschhoek. You know, if you want to yeah. make a successful tourist destination, you want to be in Franschhoek or you want to be in Stellenbosch. Those are the two... Mm areas that really get the footfall and um, mm. ah, it was an amazing journey it afforded me four years of getting in touch with managing people which is a lot more difficult yes. than you would think it is um, much more difficult well as, than managing grapes isn't it <laughs> managing grapes don't talk back <laughs> and if yeah, you get angry don't with them you, yeah they don't need UIF you don't have to sort of lay them off or anything like that no and if you get cross with them you just crush them so it's, mm. it's, quite, it's quite easy <laughs> Yes, and there's nothing Germanic in your history, is there? <laughs> no, but there's a lot of Dutchy. So. Oh, so Grand Provence was a, a fabulous little stepping stone for you, I think. It's such a pretty little property. We'll have to have a look and see what's happened to Grand yeah. Provence. It's maybe a little mission for me. And you also did a stint with one of my favorite people, who is Gerard Holden um, at Holden yeah. Mance. And I think you were the first winemaker at at Holden Max, no, I wasn't. I actually didn't make wine there. It was like an interim uh, time. I spent about six months with Gerard and Migo, and uh, great property. Hey, it's um, mm. like um, Thomas the Tank Engine. It's the little property that can. Um, yes. It is in a beautiful But you part say of the world. you didn't make wine there. Was was um, Terry there already? Were you just no, managing Thierry, the farm? No, Terry Terry came in um, after I'd left. Skulk, um, Skulk, I can't remember his surname now, um, who's moved on and is now the winemaker at Coin Rock. Um, he, oh, went, uh, okay. he went from there to Lamashuk and then to Coin Rock. So Skulk was the, the winemaker when I was there, and he did some fantastic work. Eh? It was really, really mm. good. It was a short lip, but it was fantastic. It was a wonderful experience. Mm. And what do you think prompted GT to headhunt you and grab you into the I fold wish, at Takara? I, I, I tried to get or catch his eye a lot earlier than that, but um, they went through a very uh, proper process of interviewing. It, it was one of the most, I wouldn't say frustrating, but it was 
nerve-wracking because we went through about three, four months of interviews um, <laughs> with all different people. Um, oh. And then there were psychometric tests to see that your personality would fit in with the rest of the team. It was done so properly. It was an incredible experience, and I learned a lot from it. And uh, I think by the time you are approached and say, right, you the guy we've chosen, and you've been through all of these steps, you understand that it's a serious business. It's mm. um, it's a serious company culture, and they want to have a cohesive unit, and I think that's what makes Takara so special. We've got people that have been here from the very beginning, like Aidan Morton, I've had a culturalist mm. 21 mm. years with Takara. Um, our previous winemaker was here for 17 years. Uh, we've had a lot of, lot of long-term commitment from people, and I think that's part of the success. Well, that's sort of why we're here today, really, is mm. to speak about a whole wave of recognition that Takara has received in the last couple of weeks. You've just got like brag time and a big platform from whence to jump. You can brag as much as you like, because I do think that Takara is one of those properties from the Western Cape that has to be an inspiration and a shining star to so many people in the country and the whole world. Gigi Ferreira has, he comes with a very star-studded CV of his own before he even ventured into winemaking. He purchased Takara out of his own money in 1994. To the best of my knowledge, he didn't steal it from anybody. He didn't annex it. He didn't, he didn't whip it away from under anybody's feet. He bought his own piece of little property in Stellenbosch and I think I remember it being purchased as a residence. I don't know that GT ever was going to buy this as a business, was he? I sometimes um, simplify the process by saying that him and his wife and their two kids came down to the Cape. They wanted to find a beautiful place to bring up their children in a, in a bucolic environment. And they managed to do that. They found an incredible spot in Stellenbosch. It's really unique. GT tells a story that the property came with a beautiful dam at the end of the property, which the house looked over. And in that dam, GT had visions of trout fishing. Um, mm -hmm. And you know all the gentlemanly pursuits that you have <laughs> yes, when you nice. become a shooting, fishing, yeah. And uh, the guy next door, who part of the property was bought from, still continued to farm a part of the area with roll-on lawn. So large tracts of, of green grass that required lots of water. And he had water rights to the dam. And Gigi oh, just, God. in his mind, saw his trout flopping in mud at the and end of summer. And his first lawsuit, his first lawsuit, yes. Exactly. So he um, managed to do a good deal with a guy and buy the tract of land that was being used for Roland Lawn um, so that he had water for his trout the whole time, which is a fantastic Ugh. thing. So uh, we'll, explain, we'll explain to everybody who hasn't been to Takara, you sort of go up a hill, you go up that, yep. that pass, you get to the top on the right-hand side is Delaire, on the yep. left-hand side is the Lima and Takara. Takara, yeah. And when you drive into the driveway of Takara, I love the architecture, which we can speak about a little bit later. It just sort of molds into the side of the mountain, so you hardly even notice that it's there. It doesn't sort of protrude like a great big obelisk of any description. And when you stand on the veranda of the restaurant at Takara, you almost hope that that's what heaven feels like, don't you? It's just so pretty. It is magnificent, that view down to Table Mountain. I think everything was positioned beautifully. This was actually a different portion that was 
purchased right at the end. So once the grass had been bought um, <laughs> and the, the dam was And the secured, lawnmower. Yeah. Uh, we, GT then realized that he had um, land that needed something to be done with. And, of course, we're surrounded by incredible neighbors, like you mentioned, um, Thalima, uh, mm. Dalia across the road, Rustenburg are borders, uh, bordering neighbors as well. And they well, You can been, sort of see Ida's Valley from your property, yeah, can't you? Outstanding, exactly. Just and beautiful. as a result of all of their collective expertise and what they've been doing over the years, we didn't have to make any mistakes. They've done all the experimentation for us. You know, they'd been farming in mm. that valley for 30 years. So we mm. could draw on all of their experiences. And the only way forward was to, to grow grapes. And this part was then purchased because a winery is big. It could potentially be noisy. It could potentially have odors um, that you don't particularly want to smell when um, some of the, the water that washes away when you're cleaning your tanks and mm. that um, starts fermenting on its own. So the idea was to have something away from the main residence um, and have wonderful access from the Hellsworth Pass. So it was mm. the natural, it was the natural environment for a winery. And GT set about an architectural style that would be timeless. Uh, and I think most importantly, fit in with the landscape. So it's a modern vernacular yes. of Cape Dutch. Without the twee gables and um, fakeness, if, if you'd want, and yes. a natural palette as well. The color is everything just melds and molds. Mm, it's all sort of. It looks like the earth. Yeah. The building looks like the earth around it. So, what moved GT to actually become a farmer? Because I really don't think that was his intention. He became very good friends with Giles Webb. From oh, dear. Yeah. You can't trust those Michael House boys, you know. <laughs> so Giles, Giles said to GT, listen, you are sitting on some of the most incredible vineyard land in the world. Um, don't think we're going to let you get away with not doing anything with it. So let's do a project together. <laughs> and GT had the confidence of starting a project in agriculture and in winemaking where his expertise didn't lie because he had an ally in Giles. And Giles was really the, the go-getter that got the whole project started, designed the cellar, laid out the vineyards. It was an incredible project. And without that beginning and that foundation, we certainly wouldn't be where we are today. I just love the humility that all of you at Takara come with because you never, I have never ever been in the presence of you or GT or Aiden or Stuart or Miles for that matter where any Takaran has ever claimed any kudos for themselves. Good. I love it. I think everybody needs to take a great big leaf out of that book because there is no replacement for humility. So GT bought this thing and I think there were some famous sayings that came out of GT's mouth that said <laughs> something about return on income, on investment or what have you. There, there isn't any, is there? No return yes. on investment. No, well, you know, it depends on how you look at it. And financially, you can look at it in so many different ways. You can always show something somewhere. But his one was um, that it's not return on equity. That's not why he got into making wine. It's return on ego. And mm. finally, after... 21 years uh, in the business, I think that return on ego is coming back in heaps and bounds because mm. he he must, you know, yesterday I got phoned by a um, journalist from Debugger and uh, GT mentioned that this guy was going to phone me, but he phoned GT first and uh, he started talking to him about this this award that we just won for the Sauvignon Blanc and you could hear the pride in GT's voice oh. and that for me is, that's what it's all about. 
It's all about giving back. That's the return on ego. Yeah. Yeah. Not that his ego has played a massive part yeah. there, but that is yeah. the return he's been looking for, I think. No, exactly. So to that, before we start bragging about all the awards that we've won in the last couple of weeks, 27 years later, lots more vineyard been planted. Yep. The Elgin vineyards, do they belong to Takara or do yes. you rent them? No, so you've, no, we, bought all the, you've bought all the existing, I mean all the additional vineyards. So in, in the good old days where um, things could be done quite easily and very quickly, uh, mm. we needed to find some cool climate pockets. Uh, we wanted to make a cool climate Sauvignon Blanc. And Stellenbosch, although it's coolish, is not um, a New Zealand lookalike, for instance. Um, so we discovered two incredible properties using geographic information systems to look at temperatures and shadows and mountains and so on. One was in the Himalanada Valley. Sadly, we don't have that property anymore. We sold it. It was just too far away to manage. Mm. Um, but we've held on to the little jewel in the crown, which is Highlands, the Takara Highlands property, right on top of the plateau um, in the Elgin Ward. Uh, we have 20-odd mm. hectares there, and we share that plateau with only one other wine neighbor, and that's Iona. And the reason why we know about how spectacular those soils are is because the first couple of vintages of Iona's Sauvignon Blanc was made at Takara. So we got to work again using, yes, that's other, quite people's, right. yeah, using other people's grapes, to be able to experiment and understand another property. And when the opportunity came up to purchase a piece of land, we, we did not hesitate. Mm. And speaking of Elgin, I, Giles Webb from Thalima also has a property in yeah, Elgin, doesn't he? he's got a property yeah. called Sutherland, which is... <laughs> and I was speaking to Kath Marshall the other day, mm -hmm. who, who was telling us that she also decided that most of her grapes are going to come from Elgin. So Elgin obviously quite trendy and fashionable at the moment to have lots of grapes from Elgin. Yeah, it's a, it's a spectacular area. It's cool. It has great soils. My old soil scientist slash viticultural professor said, wherever you can grow apples, you can grow exquisite grapes. And, uh, really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The other saying that he had, uh, a great vineyard will always be able to see the sea. So now that I'll definitely go along yeah. with. I mean, we can't discount the fact that we've got Paul Kluver in that Elgin Valley who's yeah. been making the most beautiful wine oh, for a very long time. Amazing. And then also people like Anthony Rawbone Fillion, who's come to the party with a couple of really sort of decent Chardonnays, I think. Lots of so it gems. is. Yeah, it is a fabulous, it's a fabulous region not to be discounted. We need to keep a very careful eye on Elgin. So Carlito, Something popped up on my email, which prompted me to phone you. The Cara Sauvignon Blanc crowned best in the world in Brussels. <laughs> That's rather a sweeping statement. Fill us in. And yeah, congratulations, quite, by the way. Thank you very much. We're very proud. Um, 2020 was an exceptional year. Um, but just to go back one step, when we purchased that property in Elgin, uh, we hung our hat on Sauvignon Blanc. So that property is about 21 hectares, and we've got 18 mm. and a half hectares on Sauvignon Blanc on that wow. property. So we, okay, there's we no had, going back there. <laughs> we had a goal. We had a goal. Is that, we, all ro is that all the roses at the end of each line? Yeah. And we, we were confident. And uh, look, that was planted in 2004, um, so exactly 10 years later. 
after the initial purchase of Takara. So now we're sitting, what, at 17 years? So mm. our average age of our vineyards there must be between 15 and 17 years of age. And the yes. results have been spectacular. We've noticed all along how good they've been until 2020, where we entered this incredible competition called Concours Mondial du Sauvignon, which is very big mm. in highfalutin French for World Competition for Sauvignon Blanc. For Sauvignon Blanc, yeah. <laughs> So they had 1,200 wines entered from 23 different countries from around the world. Oh, good heavens. So that was my next question to you. I mean, this isn't one of those awards where you were the only entrant, you know, because <laughs> a lot of people can make lay claim. And we've done that, been there. We've seen that before. There were actually over a 1,000 entrants from 23 different countries. Yeah. And did you... Only submit one Sauvignon Blanc because you do make more than one, don't you? We we have two Sauvignon Blancs um, and one Sauvignon Blanc blend in our portfolio. Um, mm. But the idea is to really grow the Highlands brand. So the Takara Highlands Elgin Reserve Collection Sauvignon Blanc is to really look at growing that over time because the, the site is so spectacular. Mm. So we entered just that one. And... Uh, Really? I got a, I got and a it, was it the reserve or was it the yeah, ordinary? It's the reserve. It's the was reserve. It? Yeah, it's the reserve. So we we make about uh, six thousand cases of that per per annum, and we've grown that over time. Uh, mm. So Blanc is a is quite a fickle wine segment in the market. Um, it has mm. a it has a ceiling, a price ceiling, where people are prepared to pay for ostensibly what they see as an early drinking, unwooded white wine. Mm. Uh, yes, unless, unless, you're, unless you're sincere, you actually can't charge too, too much money yeah, for your bottle exactly. of Sauvignon Blanc. I think we need to put it in a kilt or something because we do need to differentiate it from all the others. It is this very high land, yeah. um, freezing cold climate, crisp, linear. You could actually cut through somebody's skull with that that wine. It's so linear. It's beautiful. I was lucky enough to join you and Stuart at a tasting. I think we were at DW11 mm. a couple of months ago, yep. and we were tasting all these things. What vintage was it that won the best wine in the world? 2020. Best Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. So it 2020. Was 2020, yeah. Um, and is uh, that the one that everybody can buy at the moment? Is the that one the one that's, that's on the shelf? It's the one that's on the shelf. Uh, retail price is about 160 rand a bottle. It's spectacular. We are incredibly impressed with how the wine has done, how it's been received. It's a little bit more, well, we approach it a little bit more seriously than most people would a Sauvignon Blanc. We barrel ferment a portion of it. There's a tiny inclusion of a little bit of Semillon. And it's all from the property. It's all from the Elgin mm. property. It's aged on mm. lees for nine to ten months. Um, spends about uh, six, seven months in bottle before we release it. So we take it seriously. And, mm. yeah, it shows. It's a beautiful, It definitely beautiful shows. And I could think of nothing nicer than either a freshly roasted chicken or a gorillaed crayfish that's covered in something gorgeous and sloppy and slimy. And to just put that in your mouth and eat it with that Sauvignon Blanc, fish or chicken, just so gorgeous. I know it sounds a bit cliched, but it really is. Crayfish with lemon butter sauce and Takara Sauvignon Blanc Reserve. Yeah, you've got you the definitely acidity. don't mind yeah, if you don't wake up You've got the acidity that will cut through all of that. So it, it works exactly. well for that. It's exceptional with oysters. We find it's mm. a 
brilliant match with anything sushi, so especially sashimi. Mm. It's a it's an it's an all rounder, and of course, and I just might tell everybody mm. I'm going to do a bit of a brag for you that Carl Lambert is one of the best chefs that I've ever met <laughs> in my entire life. So whatever he says, wise, <laughs> yeah, sit up and listen because he is really. So, Carl, we're then going to go on from from Brussels Mondial, the Sauvignon Blanc, whatever it was called, to um, Christian Eads puts out a report every year of what he deems to be or what wine magazine South Africa deems to be the top wines coming out of South Africa. And Takara is the top winery. How did that happen? So, um, he has category tastings, which are really cool. We use them as benchmarks to see where we are against our the guys who share the shelf with us. And uh, it's always gratifying to see that you are considered part of uh, an elite. And uh, our price points are what we look at, and we try and balance them out according to where we sit in the market. And by entering these competitions, you get judged, first of all, and most interestingly, by a panel of three, Mm. and it's a consistent panel. So every single category is judged by the same people, and I think that's very Mm. important. Quite valuable, Um, yes. Yeah, and they they build up a knowledge, or we build up a knowledge of our wines through their palates. So mm. we entered seven wines over the over the year, and we got I think six of our wines landed up in the top ten of each of the categories. Which it's is, just an amazing achievement. Yeah. It really is. I'm not sure that it's happened to any other winery in South Africa. We were very chuffed. Oh, yeah, I would be. There's one thing that I need to tell everybody that they might not know about. Everybody knows about Directors Reserve Red and White. They know about your Yum Yum Chardonnay. They know about your award-winning Sauvignon Blanc. But do you guys know about a little bottle that if you shut your eyes and felt it, you would think that it was Renard Blanc de Blanc? But it's actually Carl's bubbly. It's his method, a couple of seek from Takara. And it is a Blanc de Blanc, and it is absolutely beautiful tell us about your bubbly so we produce a bubbly from our cool climate vineyards so it's also from elgin which is fantastic it links up quite clearly um with the sylvia blanc we have probably about two hectares of chardonnay up in the highlands that is harvested at about 18 bricks we bring it in and it creates the base for the bubbly and I think we do something that's slightly different. We age the bubbly for between six and seven years on the lees before disgorgement and bringing mm-hmm. it out into the market. So it's a wine that is rich and developed, and ah, it's it's an amazing. No, it's amazing such a product. mouthful. You can actually eat every mouthful of that blanc de blanc because it's so textured, it's so layered, it's so bursting with fruit, and yet the acid level is just perfect. It's dry. It's it's everything that it needs to be. It's toasty. It's dry. It's fruity. It's it's just magnificent. Is that available readily in the market yep. for people to purchase? Yeah, it's certainly in the market. In fewer places, we only produce about three thousand five hundred bottles of that wine per per year. What do uh, we buy it for? Uh, Roughly, I mean, we're not going to about seven 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 hundred rand a bottle. You know, okay. it's spent seven years in our mm. cellars aging. You can imagine mm. the investment in in overseas or yes, the return bottles. on ego there is <laughs> it's definitely going to be quite a lot bigger, I think. Well, you know how it started, and I think that's that's the wonderful story is that 
uh, GT and Anna Marie's daughter got married on the farm. And GT mm-hmm. said, under no circumstances am I serving sparkling wine from, I have a winery. Why can't I have a sparkling wine? <laughs> so we were given two years notice and we produced the first bubbly for Cara's wedding at the farm. And it was such a success. And we thought, well, you know, there are times in our future where we are going to have to celebrate. So mm. let's have something that we can use for celebration. And you couldn't have a better wine than a bubbly. No, that's, that's completely gorgeous. Then there's another little hidden gem that we need to know about, which is Telos. Mm. Tell us about Telos. Oh. Tell us about Telos. So, I, funny mm. enough, I rushed into my marketing manager's office yesterday. I said, Suzanne, am I allowed to talk about the next vintage of Telos? And she said, no. Um, but but I can. Um, we'll be going she, to anyway. Yeah, she can shout at me later. <laughs> so, um, currently, the way we work Telos is very interesting. We produce a thousand bottles of what we consider our finest, finest Cabernet Sauvignon. It spends time in arguably some of the most beautiful uh, barrels that we import that have been seasoned for five years from the tightest grain, from the most mm. rare forests in France. Yeah. Uh, it spends 22 months in barrel. Um, we bottle it and then age it for an extra four to five years in our cellar before bringing it out. And you and Stuart and Aidan puff and blow all over it every morning <laughs> and pray to it at night before you go to bed. It is, guys. You don't understand that this yeah. is South Africa's first growth. It's just beautiful, which we can go on and tell everybody about because you did put it up against some of the first growth we as well, did. didn't you? So when we launched the initial vintage, the first vintage was in 2015, and we launched it in London at, what's it called, 67 on Pall Mall, um, mm-hmm. which is this incredible wine club um, right next to Kensington Palace. And we had the creme de la creme, sadly, including Stephen Spurrier, who just oh, uh, who died, passed away yes. recently. Yep. Yes, we all need to have a drink to Stephen this weekend. Well, Stephen, God bless his soul, hey, he stood there at the end of the tasting next to GT and he said, Sir, I want to tell you that out of the seven wines that were on the table, and we had six 100-pointer Robert Parker Bordeaux wines I and the Tilos. And Stephen turned to GT and he said, there were seven wines here. Um, they were all good, but there was only one flawless wine. And he oh. says, that was your tea loss. And, uh, and Stephen yeah, Spurrier uh, said that. Stephen Spurrier said that. It was the, one of the proudest moments. So it's, uh, well, I remember being at the tasting in Johannesburg when mm. you and GT launched. That's the only tasting I've ever seen GT do himself. <laughs> and he really looked like the cat who'd got the cream. He yeah. is in love with that product. And I think you've... Pretty much spearheaded that project for him, haven't you? It's, I think of it as Carl's project, really, because you love that wine and it is you and it will have your stamp on it at Takara forevermore for me. It's, I think every person who works at Takara has the same ambition. Um, not only to make the owners proud, but to produce the very, very best. And, uh, those vineyards have been tended by Aiden for 20 years. The wines have been looked after by a winemaker in the barrel, you know, for t- close on two years. Everybody gives their ultimate for that. Well, we give it for everything that we do, but that is very special because the area that our farm is in is quintessentially Cabernet country. And, and you uh, are allowed to have a favorite child, you know. Yes, of course. 
You are. Lastly, before I have to say goodbye to you, I need to tell everybody about our pot stool brandy because ah. South Africa makes some of the best brandy in the world, Takara not being one of, not being too far behind any of the other brandies that are produced from here. You make it out of Chenin Blanc, do you? Yep. And the Chenin Blanc was planted on the farm entirely for that purpose. Specifically. So, yeah. yeah. So the vineyard is now nearing uh, 18 years of age. It goes into the potstill brandy. We have our own uh, alambic potstill that was brought in from cognac in the beginning of the building process. So it's been here from 2000. And uh, it gets aged in, in limousine oak. And the current uh, iteration of the brandy is now an exo. So the average age of the spirits in there is about 16 to 17 years of age. And it's, it is so complex. It's beautiful. Like everything else that comes off Takara, it is sublime. Um, we don't mind. Don't tell GT this and don't tell him to listen to this, but we don't mind paying a bit of a premium for such a premium property that is put together with such premium passion and by such premium people. I could speak to you for another 25 minutes, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it for another time. Good. Congratulations to all of you on the Thank amazing you so awards that you've won. And just for being a big beacon of hope and a shining light through a ghastly year to show that South Africa is excellent, our wine industry shines, and anybody can do it with lots and lots of hard work and passion. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, one of the things that's important about for Takara about winning these awards is great. It gives us the accolades. It gives us the um, realization that our wines are accepted worldwide. But what it does, it pulls the whole of South African wine industry along with it. Mm, um, so 100%. we get to feel proud, but we also get to play a role in this industry to bring South African wine to the attention of everybody around the globe. And I think that's the bigger picture. And it's the, it's the long-lasting yeah. picture. It's brilliant. So hats off and bottoms up to you and the Ferreras and the whole team. Carl, thanks so much for joining us on Carrie's Corner. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.